From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca, your host, and just want you to know that I appreciate you listening to my show. So speak to me because my team and I spend lots of time, lots of energy preparing for our show about things that I care about, and I think you will too. So let me know what you're thinking. If you find the show riveting, valuable, horrific, or offensive, you fill in the blank. Check me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. You can also go right to my website, talkwithfrancesca.com, and fill out the contact form there. I'll get right to me. You can visit me on Facebook. I promise I'll get right back to you. And if you miss part of this show, you can go to recent shows on my website, talkwithfrancesca.com, and listen there. And I'm also on iTunes. So plenty of places to listen to Talk with Francesca. All right, we've got a lot to cover today, so we're going to get started. Did anyone ever tell you that you were unique or special or different? Well, they were absolutely right. We're all special in our own unique ways because we've all had different experiences, our frame of reference is different, our upbringings, circumstances that give us different perspectives. And because of this, we all have different ways of learning, growing, and healing. So here today to discuss our individual biochemical profiles, how it informs our behaviors and treatments is Dr. James Greenblatt. Dr. Greenblatt is Chief Medical Officer and Vice President Walden Behavioral Care and author of The Breakthrough Depression Solution, which I interviewed him years ago about that book, and now his latest book, Finally Focused. So welcome back, Dr. Greenblatt. Thanks for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. Great. It's nice to talk with you. So tell me, can you explain, first of all, what integrative therapy is? And and, this, and part B of that would be, how do you practice it? Sure. I mean, I think that um, the term integrative medicine, to me, really is synonymous with just practicing good medicine in my field is mm. the mental health and psychiatry. So what it means is that um, we don't take sides, we don't have beliefs, we don't have opinions. We just have um, science and working towards what is the best approach to help our patients. And that means for some, it might be medications, but for others, it's looking at uh, individual genetics, nutritional biochemistry, lifestyle, diet, and you know everything from the gut um, to vitamins. So it really is putting um, a holistic, integrative approach to treating mental health. That's so much more common today, but do you think that um, we'll ever um, pass over the whole Western way of thinking? You know, someone's depressed, they go on an antidepressant. They're anxious, they go on a, you know, anti-anxiety medication. Well, I think what's happening is is the the movement, if you will, is is now um, coming from within. So traditional psychiatrists and researchers are looking at genetics. They're looking at gut bacteria and probiotics, they're looking at nutritional deficiencies. So when I started 30 years ago, there would be like one article a month, and now there's like 10 research articles a day coming out. So I believe that the the psychiatry is, well, the medicine in general, but psychiatry is a little slower, is changing, and an integrative approach is now um, kind of sought after by both consumers and doctors want this information. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned gut bacteria twice, um, or actually you didn't say, I don't think you said bacteria, I don't know, but I, I've heard you say gut already twice in the first couple minutes. Um, how does your gut affect your mental health? Well, I mean, I think I brought it up because it's one of the few areas that academic medicine has really taken hold of, and the consumer is fascinated with their gut. And um and, and we know that gut bacteria affects the brain. And so research has made it quite clear that um, bacteria in the gut, um, information is transmitted to the brain, so it affects our mood, our anxiety, our ability to tolerate stress. In my field of eating disorders, it affects how we uh, can get hungry and full. 
Mm-hmm. So research has started looking more clearly at identifying probiotics, so supplements that individuals could take to support some of the um, symptoms of major psychiatric illness like depression and anxiety and ADHD. Now, so you're referring to taking like probiotics, but um, I mean, there are a zillion on the market, absolutely zillions. Um, you know, so I mean, how on earth do you even have any idea of where to begin? Um, well, it's a great question. And I, I think um, taking a probiotic, uh, you know, from a reputable company is, is important and might be helpful. But some of the more uh, detailed medical work that we do is we can actually look in, um, uh, do urine tests and stool tests to be able to determine if someone has um, bacteria that could be contributing to a problem. And then we can personalize the treatment uh, to help support that individual. And how successful is this? Well, with the testing, uh, it's very successful. I mean, I think that um, everyone running out and taking probiotics for their depression or anxiety, I think that has limited efficacy. But that 10% of individuals that might produce these abnormal chemicals that we can detect, and those individuals um, consistently would feel much better with aggressive treatment of these um, this abnormal bacteria in their gut. But, I mean, isn't just a, a good probiotic um, good health? Isn't that a good way to practice your health, like running on the treadmill for half an hour a day? Um, I, I think a good uh, probiotic is helpful in eating fermented foods and all the other kinds of things. We realize that uh, mm. gut health affects us. Mm-hmm. But for someone who is struggling with a psychiatric illness, going out and taking a probiotic from the health food store is likely not sufficient and shouldn't be the the entire treatment plan. So how do you practice what you do? Um, you know, over the years, it's um, looking at um, a detailed family history. We can't escape some of our genetics, and that's very important. So you're detailed saying mental health uh, is um, in your genes? Uh, certainly, yes. There, it's in our genes. And symptoms, we might have somebody that is depressed or substance abuse, and we say that it doesn't affect us, but that uh, vulnerability to substance abuse might, in another generation, affect vulnerability to anxiety or depression, and, and that's really important. And then the bulk of our work is really personalizing treatment based on looking at testing. We look at blood, hair, urine, and, and genetic testing, uh, cheek swabs to see what, how an individual is unique from another individual, what might be going on, uh, nutritional deficiencies, metabolic deficiencies. It, it's complex, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. the science now supports um, this kind of work because just as you said, everyone who's depressed doesn't need Prozac. Everyone who's um, depressed doesn't need a probiotics. We need to sort out what might be going on and recommend a, a personalized program. But you, like probably many other alternative um, doctors, probably insurance doesn't cover your stuff, right? Um, correct. It, it's getting harder and harder. Certainly mm. some of the testing mm. that we do, looking at vitamin B12 levels and D and iron are covered by insurance. Um, but not all um, the testing is covered. What, what, what is the significance of uh, B12? Um, I, I think B12 is one of the uh, most significant tragedies of modern medicine, modern psychiatry, because it's often overlooked. And it, it symptoms could be a depression, anxiety, or fatigue. Um, and these are common symptoms that we see. And people go to their PCPs. B12 is sometimes not even checked. If it is checked, they don't know the correct values um, because they're very old lab values. So effectively treating B12 can make a significant difference in some of those symptoms of of fatigue, anxiety, and depression. Right, right. So let's talk about lifestyle factors and and how that can affect mental health. What, what, What would you say about that? How would you speak to that? Well, um, there's many, but certainly the, the most significant with the most research is sleep. 
Um, you know, we know that uh, sleep deprivation affects uh, inflammation and multiple neurotransmitters and mood. So adequate sleep is, is one of the most important. And, uh, you know, stress, I kind of say the three S's, sleep, stress, and sugar, refined sugar, that is, are right. probably the most significant. Um, we minimize stress because we think it's just normal. It's part of our lives. Um, but stress has uh, profound implications. And it, uh, again, depending on genetics, certain individuals that are more genetically vulnerable um, are less stress tolerant and have uh, developed symptoms. But stress creates both nutritional deficiencies. It can uh, trigger anxiety and depression and understanding um, the things that will minimize stress, whether it's therapy, the mindfulness techniques or yoga is critically important. It really is. That, I mean, it's, that, it, you know, stress is, I mean, we, it's no, it's no news, obviously, that stress is a killer, but I mean, it really is. And, you know, so many people go to the doctor and it's so stress related, you know, oftentimes it, you know, you, when you think about it, dis-ease, right? I mean, that's not, no news to you, obviously. Um, you know, we're in a sense, uh, you know, state of dis-ease and we get disease and, you know, it's because of how we feel, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important that we um, understand. And, and for some individuals, um, stress tolerance and, and lifestyle changes could be aerobic exercise. Someone else, it might be mindfulness. And we really need to work with individuals about how they can develop a better understanding of stress and minimize the uh, powerful effects of stress. Um, what, what are some um, things that stress can bring on? Well, I think that the, there are a couple of levels. One is stress by itself creates nutritional deficiencies, mm. vitamin C, magnesium, and often the B-complex vitamins. So as we produce a lot of adrenaline from under chronic stress, it interferes with um, nutrients mm -hmm. and also uh, our digestion. Mm -hmm. We start um, losing our ability to, to digest food. And then the chronic stress, we see chronic digestive problems and uh, subsequent malnutrition. And yeah, um, and then you also mentioned inflammation. And, um, you know, there seems to be more and more um, evidence that disease, all sorts of disease comes from um, inflammation. But how do you keep that inflammation at bay? I think the most important thing is understanding what might be causing the inflammation. So, Similar to the probiotic and gut bacteria, inflammation is a topic now being researched by academic psychiatry, and it's clear that inflammation contributes to depression. Um, but my, my job in an integrative clinic looks to find what might be contributing to inflammation. It could be a nutritional deficiency like a vitamin D deficiency. It could be an infection like Lyme disease. Um, or it could be stress. We know stress directly um, creates inflammatory molecules that affect the brain and sleep deprivation. So we're really trying to help someone under, un, understand the underlying cause. could be two or three different things, um, mm -hmm. and then we can decrease inflammation by getting at the cause. So, okay, what role does an, one's environment and the people in their life affect their mental health? Well, I mean, we know that, you know, our connections to the people um, clearly affect chemicals in the brain, and we know loneliness is a significant trigger for depression, mm -hmm. um, and the elderly is where most of this research is. Yes. So, you mm -hmm. know, our sense of community, our sense of connection, be it church, family, right. um, is very important to our mental health. Yeah, it sure is. If you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Dr. James Greenblatt. He is the Chief Medical Officer and Vice President at Walden Behavioral Care. And um, Dr. Greenblatt, you wrote a book called Finally Focused. Obviously, it has to do with ADHD, right? Yes. I think that um, we were you know, trying to help parents kind of sift through the massive amount of literature on the internet that they're reading about, take this vitamin, take that, do this, um, as parents are trying to think of alternatives to medication or medicines haven't been helpful for ADHD. So it's kind of a, a systematic guide um, through um, 
the nutritional kind of metabolic factors mm-hmm. that may contribute to ADHD. You know, I just when I um, backpedal here just a little bit uh, for a second, it made me think of um, the supplement magnesium because there's been, you know, so much talk about it. I actually interviewed Carolyn Dean who wrote The Magnesium Miracle quite a while back. Um, and what, you know, how do you take magnesium? Well, I, I think magnesium is probably the most common nutritional deficiency, um, you know, for us here in the United States. Um, we talked about stress. Increased stress uh, causes cortisol to go up and magnesium to go down. Hmm. So magnesium is best taken a couple times a day. And the only thing I think uh, listeners need to know is you wouldn't want to take uh, the form of magnesium oxide. because That is both the least expensive, might only be 3 or $4, but it's poorly absorbed, so it's mostly used as a laxative. Oh, so just regular old magnesium. Do you need to take calcium with that? I thought that was always kind of the way. Not if you're treating anxiety. You probably want to minimize the calcium for a little bit. So any form of magnesium except for oxide, you want to take it twice a day. And how many milligrams of that would you suggest? It could be anywhere from three to 400 milligrams total a day. Hmm. And it also helps sleep. One of the things that we... Uh, we see it those that have some um, sleep disturbances, hard to fall asleep, or waking up in the middle of the night. Oftentimes, um, magnesium deficiency is a part of that. Hmm. Have you seen cases in which generational traumas have affected an individual's well-being? Um, absolutely. So you're talking about trauma in one generation. Well, yeah. Um, it just, I, I actually, um, yeah. Because I interviewed another guy uh, who wrote the book. Um, it didn't start with you, Mark Wuln, I think is his name. I may be pronouncing it wrong. Um, but it was very interesting, you know, that the, you know, I mean, you get these intergenerational traumas. I mean, how do you deal with that? And I mean, actually, in reality, isn't it all intergenerational, right? I mean, (laughs) how do you have, you know, how do you have, you know, you have crisis in in one generation and, you know, the kids pick it up and then they bring it into their generation and then their their kids bring it into their generation. I mean, it just seems like it just can't be stopped. And I mean, yes, today it is different. There's therapy. There's ways to, to stop all that. But I mean, still, those patterns are really, you know, uh, you know, I can't remember who said it once, but, you know, therapy is great until you're in the thick of things, you know, and and then so trying to work something through, it, it doesn't, it just isn't, is it isn't as simple, you know, as as talking it out um, and breaking those, those traumas. So how do you, how in your practice do you deal with that? Well, I think on, on a couple levels, one, the uh, therapy, the acknowledgement of the intergenerational trauma issues as people talk about it. It always is helpful, uh, particularly couples or family therapy. And then the other piece um, is that we see the, the the effects on stress, particularly intergenerational stress or trauma, it, it affects our, our the physiology, our, our digestion, uh, our nutrients, our ability to tolerate stress. So we do our same kind of integrative workup to be able to kind of optimize um, how individuals tolerate and deal with stress, and that will just support them in therapy and being able to talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, a, 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 on a totally different topic here, there's an increase of anorexia and self-injury in um, adolescence, it appears. Um, why do you think that is? Well, you know, we run an eating disorder a program, you know, across three states now, and we're certainly seeing an increased incidence of eating disorders and younger kids. I, I think part of it is clearly um, malnutrition, what the kids are eating, and a part of it is our cultural obsession with, with looks, weight mm. um, in particular. And then kind of social media has certainly um, created um, the kind of, or the term we use, gasoline on the fire to really um, spread some of this um, uh, work and what happens when these girls start restricting uh, during puberty their eating and their intake um, they become malnourished very quickly and that causes some um, distortion in their thinking 
Mm. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. So what are some common reasonings and rationalizations that do you hear from anorexic patients? Well, I mean, at first is it could be um, healthy dieting um, is the biggest trigger. And there's a genetic vulnerability, as I talked about. So 10, 13-year-olds go on a diet and um, some lose weight, some stop, and one might um, be unable to stop that the dieting just creates this um, pathological obsession about weight and weight loss. And usually we find family histories of eating disorders. So there's a unique genetic profile and that weight loss becomes um, uh, an obsession that drives um, uh, food choices, it interferes with life. Mm -hmm. And what people don't know is that um, anorexia has the highest risk of suicide of any psychiatric illness, more so than depression. These girls really wreak havoc on their bodies and their brains, and untreated, it's life-threatening. Hmm. I think that a lot of times anorexia and bulimia can be looked at as the same thing. Um, would you agree with that, or what, what's your take on that? No, I, I think it, it's they're all disordered eating patterns, and, and nowadays some are morphing into the other. They might start anorexic, and then they might start... Um, purging or over-exercising. So they're very different disorders. The treatment is different, uh, but they can change. Um, uh, in, in some ways, the bulimia where individuals purge, um, they intentionally vomit, um, that can create electrolyte problems, which also can affect the heart and um, be life-threatening. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that uh, depression can be cured or do you think it is something that's lifelong? Um, I was giving a talk for a supplement company, and I used that term. Um, I was talking about a case, and I said cured, and they said you can't use that word because, um, you know, you can't cure depression. Uh, it makes no sense. If we understand the other underlying physiology, then you can cure depression because, let's say, something like celiac disease. It's a disorder where someone can't tolerate gluten, it causes a reaction in the gut, so you don't absorb nutrients. So you become deficient in B12 and zinc and iron. And over time, a year or two or five years, you will become depressed. And if we treat the celiac disease, we can completely treat the, the depression in some individuals. So that, to me, is curing, recovery, remission, whatever word you use. Mm -hmm. but I do believe depression is curable. You do. Okay. So you use the acronym ZEBRA. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, the, the ZEBRA approach is kind of the mnemonic we use in our depression book. And it just stands for all the factors that uh, individuals should look at in terms of understanding what to, um, to, to assess for these underlying causes. So the mnemonic is the, is take care of yourself. We talked about sleep, sugar, and stress. H is hormones, looking at um, hormone levels, thyroid in particular. E is exclude, uh, looking at food allergies and celiac disease. And then zinc and trace minerals, exercise, amino acids and fatty acids, and the gut. So all these factors um, need to be looked at. And uh, again, with depression like ADHD, um, 10 individuals struggling for depression, they might have 10 different underlying causes. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> it sounds like it could go on forever. Um, what is uh, nutritional lithium? Uh, nutritional lithium is um, probably one of the most um, helpful nutrients that I use in my practice as a psychiatrist. And, and nutritional lithium is uh, fascinating. And we wrote a book on lithium. It is um, in the soil, it's in our water, and it's essential for healthy brain function. People think of lithium as a drug, as a scary drug uh, for people with severe mental illness. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, um, again, in our tap water, it's in our soil, and it's been around since the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago when the Earth first, first formed. And what we have found is very low levels are important for um, things like depression, anxiety, and the work that we're doing now is actually the prevention of Alzheimer's. Mm. There's good research looking at low-dose lithium 
uh, as a preventative agent for Alzheimer's. Can anybody go out and buy nutritional lithium? It's on Amazon.com. So nutritional lithium in this country is um, it's a nutritional supplement, and um, you can get it on, on Amazon. Yeah, but how would you know how much to take? Well, um, you know, the, the the dosages that we're recommending are very low. It's between 2 and 5 milligrams. Um, we have a website, lowdoselithium.com, that you know explains a lot of this. And uh, I share your concern. I wouldn't want everyone to just go and take uh, lots of lithium. But, you know, at this point, anyone over 40, if you read the literature, we're recommending, you know, about 2 um two to three milligrams of lithium just as a preventative measure. A day. And, um, a day. Huh. And, and research to support that. Because what we now know about Alzheimer's is that the process is developing for 30 years. Mm. And so we, we've had no drugs and very, very poor treatment of Alzheimer's. So our only goal really is to prevent it. And, and think, speaking of Alzheimer's, what about the, the all the head drugs, you know, the SSRIs and, and the anti-anxiety drugs? Does that contribute to Alzheimer's? Uh, we don't really know that as a fact. There are different um, uh, theories, but I, I don't think we have good research to say these drugs contribute to Alzheimer's. The only ones we do know that some more research is the, the benzodiazepines, so Xanax and Valium. Um, those have been shown to um, contribute to dementia. Hmm. So it's been said that mucus is the cause of all diseases and the consumption of unnatural foods are the cause of excessive mucus. Do you believe that's true? Excessive what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, it's been said that mucus is the cause of all diseases and the consumption of unnatural foods are the cause of the excessive mucus. Do you believe that's true? Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um, I think that's kind of hard to prove, and I'm not, I'm not sure we have the science to support that as, um, you know, mucus is a protective agent that we produce all the time throughout our body. Hmm. Well, Dr. Greenblatt, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, no, no, I appreciate um your interest in the topic, and, and uh, we have set up at Walden an integrative psychiatric clinic um, in the Waltham area. So that is available as well for individuals who are looking for a more integrative approach. Okay. Well, thanks again for being on Talk with Francesca today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. All right. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to talk about an old problem, anxiety, but with a new twist. So stay with us here. Don't go away. The cats sit the way as big as a monster in this concrete jungle. Coffee no longer has to be a guilty pleasure. You've heard that red wine is good for you because of nature's most potent antioxidant, resveratrol. Vera Roasting Company makes the only coffee infused with it. Each cup of Vera's coffee delivers the same amount of resveratrol as found in a glass of red wine without the alcohol, sulfates, or tannins. Years of medical studies indicate that regular resveratrol in our diets promote cardiovascular health, slows the progression of certain cancers, Alzheimer's disease, and type 2 diabetes. Vera Roasting Coffee won double-blind taste tests against the leading coffees. Vera Roasting also offers its delicious heart-healthy coffees with added vitamin D to help Ward off the winter blues. You can't get Vera Roasting Coffee in stores. You need to go to veraroasting.com. Free and fast shipping is always available. veraroasting.com. Vera, like Vera Bradley. Go to veraroasting.com. That's veraroasting.com. It can be easy to lose sight of your dreams and aspirations, especially when they seem so out of reach. Between school, kids, and work, your true desires can get left on the back burner but you should never settle for less than what you deserve and what you know in your heart of hearts you want to do. Carrie Hummingbird has developed a program that will cast away your fear and self-doubt and inspire you to take charge of your life. But don't take my word for it. Christina Wolf took the program and described it as a trustworthy guide to show you how to transform yourself at the soul level. You will have to dig deep and it won't be easy, but then again, nothing worth having is. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, and your comfort zone ends at the Reinvent Yourself program. 
So what are you waiting for? Visit www.carriehummingbird.com. You'll be glad you did. Your body is not the only part of you that needs training. Your brain needs it too. Decision making and focus are one of the most important skills to accomplish your goals in life. Combat brain training is the first targeted neuroplasticity training that actually improves your cognitive ability to observe, decide, and act better and faster. Unlike digital-based programs that research shows create minimal or no real-world benefits, it incorporates portable handheld training tools that utilize all parts of the brain. 100% of the people who have followed the program report significant improvements in performance regardless of starting cognitive baseline. This program is perfect for anyone looking to accelerate their thinking process and really focus more effectively on any task at hand. Don't wait any longer. Go to CombatBrainTraining.com and find out more. We all suffer from something. ADHD, depression, motion sickness, Lyme disease, back pain. What is the one thing you're so tired of looking for a remedy for? Are you ready to change that? Are you ready to restore your health and transform your life? It all starts with Dr. Kathy Fry and the power of homeopathy. All the tools you need to mastering everyday self-care without drugs will be right at your fingertips. From remedy kits to books and even a free 20-minute consultation. Your journey to natural healing starts at drkathyfry.com. So what are you waiting for? Start living your best life today. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terra Mia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Restaurante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. Captain Lord Mansion is the ultimate bed and breakfast experience. It's the only AAA four-diamond bed and breakfast in Kennebunkport. But it's so much more. It's the perfect, elegant, romantic getaway. Relax at their day spa. Be pampered in your room with heated floors, jetted showers and tubs, gas fireplaces, king and queen beds, flat-screen TVs, and all the quaintness with all the modern conveniences. Be surrounded by impeccable gardens, waterfalls, fountains, a putting green, a charming gift shop, wine cellar, the list goes on and on, including a full three-course breakfast. This is a stay that you will never forget. Engage in our special offers. Call 207-967-3141. 207-967-3141. CaptainLordMansion.com. In Kennebunkport, Maine. Memories and elegance await you. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. 
At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Ladies, it's time to enjoy a new you. Stop hiding. Instead, experience a tradition of quality results and a standard of excellence in service with a plastic surgery and skincare practice at Premier Plastic Surgery of New England, located at 75 Herrick Street in Beverly. Whether you're seeking enhancement, reconstruction, or skincare, Premier Plastic Surgery is the only place to visit. Premier Plastic Surgery of New England offers a synergetic approach to cosmetic and reconstructive procedures, so you'll achieve the best aesthetic result possible. Contact Premier Plastic Surgery of New England to schedule your consultation today. Call 978-927-6656 or visit them at ppsofne.com. Discover the solution you've been searching for. Plan to expect rejuvenation and more when you experience exceptional results in plastic surgery and skincare. Contact Premier Plastic Surgery today. What are you waiting for? All right, we are back, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca, and we are going to talk about anxiety. It is a very real issue that affects about 18.1 million. Is that right? Excuse me, 18.1% of adults in the United States ages 18 to 54. That's roughly 40 million people. Can you imagine how many people have it that don't even seek help or even people who simply don't know that they have it? But anyone who has anxiety knows how confusing and debilitating it can be and how it can seep into different aspects of your life. So here with us today is the anxiety tamer herself, Jody Amon. She's a practicing psychotherapist and author of the best-selling book, You Won Anxiety Zero, motivational speaker and self-help guru. So welcome, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So as a psychotherapist, what is the most common problem? Whoops. I don't know what happened here. Whoops. Sorry about that. Um, as a psychotherapist, what is the most common problem people come to you for? Well, uh, they come to me because they're stuck in their life. They're afraid uh, something is scaring them, something that's so important to them, they're really afraid of losing. And sometimes this could turn into anxiety. It could turn into uh, defeat, feeling defeated in your life. It could turn into exhaustion and immobility, um, not able to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these things are really because of fear and because of the anxiety that fear brings into our life. We feel so out of control, mm -hmm. but it's very easy to get rid of this. And so that's what people don't know and don't end up coming forward to get the help they need. Very easy to get rid of it. Well, that surprises me. So tell us more. <laughs> well, this is the thing is that, you know, anxiety and fear lies to you all the time. And it's very easy to believe it because it feels so scary, but we're really not in danger at all. And so once you realize that these hormones that are in our body are not dangerous to us, then we're no longer afraid of it and it doesn't perpetuate it. It just goes away. It just fizzles away. Yeah, but it's a real physical feeling at times. It is a physical feeling. It's, it's it, you know, 90% of it is a physical feeling and part of it. And then the, the mind stuff, you know, the, the thoughts in our head come from that adrenaline that comes. It's, you know, it, it supercharges our mind to try to keep ourselves safe. And when there's nothing for us to do, we end up going over the negative. So how, when someone is in that state, do you turn that around? Well, there's two things that we must do. If we're in a state of panic or anxiety, or if our fear is just getting the best of us, and we feel that adrenaline, we have to do two things. One is not be afraid of it. Once we assess our context, once we assess our situation, we know we're not in physical danger, then we don't need that adrenaline at all. That's the only reason it's there. 
And 98% of the time that we have adrenaline, we are not in any danger and we don't need it. And so if we assess we're not in danger, we have to not be afraid of the feeling. We have to know it's just hormones and not be afraid of it. And the second thing we do is take some kind of action. When we do something, then it releases the GABA hormone in our brain that puts the brakes on the adrenaline. And so both of those things in combination, if you're afraid of it, you keep pumping out the hormones. So you want to not be afraid. And then you want to take some kind of action so you feel empowered emotionally. But physiologically, that's going to release the GABA hormone and stop the adrenaline. So do something like what? Take a walk? Yeah, you could take a walk, you could organize a drawer, you could, you know, watch TV, read a book, any action at all, actually, when you are doing something, first of all, it's distracting. Mm -hmm. And that's really welcome. And second of all, your mind says, okay, we did our job, she's doing something. See, the adrenaline, the whole whole point of adrenaline is to get us to take some kind of action. Mm -hmm. And so action is, you know, anything that you could ING after, right? Mm-hmm. So really the sky's the limit here, but it is going to affect your brain and it's going to release the GABA if you're doing something. But yeah, so, but okay, so, but what about people who have, like I remember years and years ago, a friend of mine ended up in the hospital. She was just having, I guess it was considered a panic attack. I mean, she mm-hmm. thought she was having a heart attack. Exactly. Um, So that's what makes it scary. That's what makes it scary. I remember very specifically what was going on. She was getting married to this guy and, and his mother was going to be moving in with them. And she was like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, we're talking 30 years ago, but still, you know, and I remember. We it all just have like, this girl actual reactions to that. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um, so how on earth are you saying, you know, oh, I'm not going to be afraid of this and I'm going to go take a walk. I don't know. That sounds pretty far-fetched to me that that simple action could stop that anxiety. Yeah, and that's why it's so hard is because we don't think we can, and that's what stops us from doing it. Because when 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 the physical symptoms come, it does feel scary because we feel like something's seriously wrong. And it's hard for us to believe that there's nothing to be afraid of. And so that is the trick is to learn because we have these lies that anxiety cells says something's wrong. You know, something bad's going to happen. Um, you're not okay. You can't handle this. And anxiety says that stuff and we believe it. And you have to believe it for the anxiety to continue. You have to believe that this feeling is a threat, but literally it's not a threat. Yeah, our heart races and our breathing uh, gets labored sometimes and we get really hot or really cold when we're anxious. You know, we feel the energy under our skin. It's so intense. Sometimes people get a headache, but it these things don't lead. I mean, stress does lead to problems in our body, but immediately this does not lead to anything dangerous for you. Everything goes back to normal when the adrenaline goes down. And so you it's true that you're not in danger. And so that's what we have to embrace. And sometimes it, it takes people quite quickly when they learn the biology of anxiety, quite quickly they get better. And sometimes it takes people longer because they are still convinced it's not okay. You sent us a, a book, is that right? Yes. Okay, good. So the fifth emailer... Um, who sends me an email, info at talkwithfrancesca.com, and puts in the subject line, Tame Anxiety, will get the book. So um, so jump on your computer now. Um, so what are some other steps to curing anxiety? Well, um, I think building confidence in yourself is one of the most important things you could do because anxiety has you feel like you can't trust yourself, you can't handle things, and it really wears away your self-confidence. You don't believe in yourself at all. And so then you feel powerless to do anything. So if something bad happens, you can't do anything. So that bad happening is so scary when you think that you have no skills at all. And so what's really important when you're recovering from anxiety is to connect with the skills that you have to to remind yourself. And I, I teach everyone to do this one practice, which is so easy, but it really changes the way you think about yourself. At the end of the day, instead of writing three things you're grateful for, you could do that too. That's wonderful. But write down three things that you accomplished that day. So often we are moving, you know, we look at all our deficits and everything we didn't accomplish and all the problems in our day and that's overwhelming and gets us down. But if we write down at the end of the day, three things we did do, 
Then we're going to start day after day to notice our skills, to notice that we handle stuff. We go with the flow. We're flexible. You know, we, we deal with what comes our way. And once we get in touch with that and, and understand that, we don't, we're not so scared of life in general. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. So you had your own experience with anxiety. Can you tell us about that time? Yeah, I started having uh, panic attacks and anxiety when I was five years old, and it lasted for about 20 years. So I totally cured myself from anxiety, but I could say that even if you've had it for a really long time, it is curable. Anxiety is highly treatable anyway. And so sometimes there's some mental health practitioners that have taught people that they just have to learn to live with it. And that's not true. That might have been one idea of somebody, some theorist a while ago, but that's not really true. We don't have to just deal with it. It's, you know, it's learned. Anxiety's learned so we could unlearn it. And that's what I figured out when I was in my mid-20s when I was having such a horrible a- episode of anxiety. I realized that I learned this from my father mm. and I and I could unlearn it. And I set my sights on unlearning it and I did whatever um, I could. I came up with six steps to curing yourself from anxiety, which is in my book, You Want Anxiety Zero. Um, and what are those six book- steps? What are the six steps? The first one is learn the lies. That, oh, under sorry. The first step is understand it biologically. This helps 50% of the people. That's all they need is this first step. The second step is learn the lies that it tells. Wait a minute. Anxiety, the, the bio that it won't hurt you. Is that what you're saying? Is that yes. the biology? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But if you actually understand what functions in the brain and, and the hormones that do what and when it's very helpful because then you understand it tangibly and it's not so like I don't know why this is here see this is so scary to someone if you don't know why anxiety comes then it really has a lot more power you know so if you understand exactly what's going on in your brain it like demystifies it and it's just not so scary anymore so that's the first step Uh, for people. And the second one is learn the lies that it tells. So you could see them coming a mile away and they don't, you don't believe them anymore. And the third is cultivate your control. That's building your own self-confidence. That's seeing the skills that you have and honing them, uh, which is, you know, of course what we need to do with anxiety. And number four is self-forgiveness. Because when we don't trust ourselves, we hold anything against ourselves. That's when anxiety can hold power. Um, What do you mean forgive yourself? Well, forgive yourself. See, we have a lot of guilt and we blame ourselves for a lot of stuff. It's cultural that we are are huge into self-blame in this culture. And that self-blame gets us not to trust ourselves. Because if we make mistakes, then we can mess up. And if something bad happens and we can't trust ourselves to handle it, that is the biggest reason why we have anxiety Hmm. is how, how we see ourselves. And so it's very important to do that. And, um, it's almost one of the most important steps. I mean, understanding it biologically really helps people not be afraid. And But that relationship with yourself is what maybe is missing with most other anxiety books, that they're just teaching skills. And those skills are good and needed, but they don't help the anxiety not come in the first place. And that's what I'm interested in, not letting people, once you're anxious, it's so hard to stop being anxious. Right. Um, we can, and we have to practice it. But if we could trust ourselves and not be afraid of bad things happening because we could handle what comes our way. And most of the time it's not that bad. Um, then we, uh, then it doesn't come at all. So that's really important. It sounds a little too good to be true, to be honest with you. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people who have anxiety and I mean, it can be quite, um, debilitating and it just sounds a little bit almost too simple. Um, but, but, you know, I suppose anything is worth a try. Right. So the book is 250 pages. So there's six steps. But, it, you know, I take 250 pages to um, really help somebody un- understand it. I, I teach a lot. I share a lot of stories so they could really relate to it and see it. But people are really mind blown by my book, You Want Anxiety Zero. They've read self-help books forever. And, you know, partly the people who are debilitated with anxiety really believe that they can't get better. And that is the biggest barrier for them is they believe that they cannot get better. Send them to my website. I have so many resources. What's your website? Tons of 
jodyamon.com. And I have tons of YouTube videos, over 200 YouTube videos on how to help yourself with anxiety and online programs. And I still work with people one-on-one. So there is definitely hope. Come and see what I have to say. Um, yeah. So I could say it's six steps and we have a, you know, a 10 minute interview, but you're right. It is more complex. First, I have to help people believe that it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That's right. I mean, you're having trouble convincing me. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, I just know a lot of people who have it and it really is very debilitating. It's too bad. I mean, I don't want them to suffer anymore, really. And that's why I'm dedicated my life to this is because I suffered so badly. And I, you know, I know that people don't have to suffer. And so I want to make sure I spread the word far and long because there's too many other people saying, you just have to learn to deal with it. Uh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> it's not fair. We need to live this life and enjoy it and like be happy and be close to people. Like that's what feeds our soul. Right. What was the best advice you got that helped? turn things around for you? I think when I realized that there was a self, uh, a self-worth issue going on for me, Uh, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get help because it was like my fault. I was here. I see that with a lot of people too. And, and, you know, I didn't ask for help because I was like, you know, other people have it worse than me. They have real problems. I just have this and I brought, I did handle it. And then I didn't get help. And I didn't realize that I was really not feeling worthy of help. And that's what, first of all, caused the anxiety and also caused me not to get help. Uh, so that was the best advice I got. Hmm. Um, and what about anxiety and anger? What are, what's the connection there? Oh, that's awesome. So when we get ang- when we get anxious about something, then we are desperate to relieve that or desperate to do what we want. And so we feel out of control. So we want to control something. Some people go to over controlling themselves and some people just get lost in the anxiety. And then some people try to control other people through demanding or anger or in, in really bad cases like domestic violence and violence. So when you feel out of control, you try to control somebody else. Sometimes not everyone, some people control themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're, when people are upset, sometimes they take it out on themselves and sometimes they take it out on other people. When you have anxiety, you're desperate for relief. You're desperate to find some control. And that's what leads a lot of people to violence. I feel like most violence is from anxiety. Really? That's what I've seen in my 20, I've I've been doing this for 25 years, um, working with people and really understanding people. And it's like, it's always some, they feel out of control. They might not call it anxiety, but you could see that they're like freaking out there. If they feel out of control, that that's when they uh, attack other people. So how do people actually get anxiety in the first place? Is it um, hereditary? Um, I guess there's probably like, you know, you might have like a, a gene that maybe you can't absorb vitamins and there is all those things but I don't it's not like a universal like if you have this gene you get anxiety you could definitely learn anxiety from your parents like behaviorally like nurture and you could you definitely it's coming out of our culture right now there's a lot of reasons our culture is is festering this anxiety first of all the scary things we see you know it's all virtual trauma for us and so we often get that PTSD but also because of our commercialism, we're not really connected with our skills. People are less and less connected with their skills and abilities to create and control their life. And so anxiety is becoming rampant. Mm-hmm. And, and for our teenagers and young people, they're so, they feel so out of control and they don't know how they could act in different ways to get the real control. So they try the pseudo control, which might be demanding or whatever, or they just get lost in the anxiety. And so the, the important thing again is really start connecting people with their skills. Hmm. If you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Jody Amen. We are discussing anxiety. Uh, handling emotions though can also be very, very difficult. How do you, move past let's say anger then if if anger creates anxiety yeah i mean anger is so normal for us to feel and not everyone who gets angry gets anxiety or not everyone who gets angry takes it out on other people 
sometimes you get angry and you allow, you need to allow yourself to feel it, right? So what happens is we judge ourselves so harshly. This is cultural too. Like we have these high standards for ourselves. We have to be young and pretty and perfect and cool. And, you know, we don't want to be left out. So we want to make sure we're okay. Uh, and But we judge ourselves so harshly because of this. And so what happens is, is when we get angry, we start to judge it and it just increases the anger. But instead, everything we feel everything we feel if you say oh i understand why i feel that way there's always a reason right the the initial feeling is totally appropriate to what's going on except for when we start to judge it it blows up and so everything we feel if we say oh i understand why i feel this way and have compassion for yourself then you like work through the feeling and it ends you're not attached anymore it's the judgment that gets us attached and keeps those feelings you know, powerful and growing and heavy on us. Very good. Um, compassion. When you said mm-hmm. compassion for yourself, talk mm-hmm. more about that. Jody. Well, this is what we don't understand is that we keep judging ourselves so much. Like, we, you know, this is a good example. So my mom's friend died and it was horrible because it was a stroke and it was quite sudden and they were away and her kids flew down and my mom had to greet these kids to say goodbye to their mom in the hospital when they took her off you know, the respirator or whatever. And, and so she, then she came home and she, we were talking and she's like, I just can't get over it. I just can't get over it. It was like a week. I was like, mom, it's a week, right? A week ago, this just had this horrible traumatic thing just happened and you lost your best friend. Mm. And a week later, she was so judgmental on herself (sighs) that it actually, she was like, what's wrong with me that I can't get over this. So it became a whole other animal. Mm-hmm. Of, of fear, like, oh my gosh, I'm overreacting. And you go on, you could see how this, the problem grows. It's, it was totally appropriate, normal grief. So it's very interesting what you're, you're talking about here, because you're saying really a big part of anxiety is um, cutting yourself some slack so that when you have the anxiety, you can, um, you know, manage it so much better by accepting really just where you are. Exactly, exactly. And, <clears throat> and and it's in accepting anxiety and people say if they accept it and they were like, does that mean I keep it? No, if you accept it and say, oh, this is the adrenaline, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. If you're present with it like that, it's, it doesn't continue. It goes through you. Yeah. It yeah. just, it just, it stops, it fizzles because you need the amygdala to say we're in danger, keep pumping the hormones. You need to be scared for that amygdala to keep pumping those hormones out. And if you're not afraid, it fizzles. So people are so afraid of accepting it because I think that means they have to live with it. But when you accept it in that sort of way, of um, that's a hard word because people don't know what accepting means. But if you um, acknowledge it and sit with it, that doesn't mean it stays. It actually goes away. Same with anger. So people are like, I just want to get rid of the anger. I said, you have to allow the anger. But I don't want the anger. I'm going to get rid of it. If you allow it, I promise you, they think allowing it means it stays. Mm -hmm. But if you allow it, you don't attach to it anymore and it goes away. Right. What about, though, Jody, when you've got like old wounds that, um, you know, are triggered by something in the present that creates anxiety? For example, who knows? Maybe a woman was, I don't know, maybe she was married for. 30 years and her husband cheated on her and you know she that was it she was never going to be another relationship again and then I don't know 10 years later she meets someone and now she's getting into a relationship and all of a sudden she's realizing she's just full of fear like how I mean that's just you know just a thought but I'm just thinking how would that that play out okay so if I was working with her one-on-one I'd really start to connect her with her skills by asking her in the last whatever 10 years you said um what what she how she knows people how she observes people how she what she notices how she judges you know who's a good person who's not a good person so i would really start to connect her and then we'd look at this new relationship and she would i would ask her about him and what um how she judges him and how he might be different and why this is different and then she would make this connection between like how it's different unless there was some a problem that there was a red flag that would be a different issue but if there's no red flags and everything's great then she would start to really connect with her skills if anything started to go wrong she'd know right away and get herself out of it 
when you know you could trust yourself, it's a lot easier to take risks. And so that's what I would work with. If I was working with her one-on-one, that's what I would do. And it's amazing how transformative that is. Because when she's in the fear, she's like, I can't do anything right. Why should I get another relationship? I can never figure anything out. You know, I worked with this woman once and she was like in her 40s. And she said, you know, I mess up everything. I I make terrible decisions. You're in your 40s and she raised a child as a single mother. She never made any, she, and she, I said, well, what decisions were bad? And she told me these three decisions she made in this 40 years. And I was like, in 40 years, you didn't make any other decisions, not one. And obviously she's made tons of decisions that were fine. Just these three were bad, but she judged herself completely that she had no skills mm-hmm. in making decisions, which is ridiculous. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I, that's what I'd help people with that. She probably is like, I don't make any decisions. She doesn't trust herself. And I would connect her with the ways and reasons she can. Well, that sounds fabulous. Is there any question that I haven't asked you as we wind down? Uh, I don't know. I, I keep loving to share more. I, I, um, yeah. So it, let people come in and check me out. I work with kids too. So I have some online programs for parents and kids because that is such a overwhelming pain when you see your children struggling and mm. there's nothing you could do about it. Right. Um, but there is very much something you could do about it. And I, and I lay it all out and help people out. So um, I don't want any kids to suffer either, Francesca. So give me your website one more time again for our listeners. Jody, Jody Amen. Dot com J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being a guest on Talk with Francesca today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you take care. Thanks. All right, it's time to wrap things up. We've got to say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. Don't try so hard.